Good morning, folks. Great to see you this morning. I know a few of you are here for the first time this year because you've been away with Christmas and coming back to the city. So a big happy new year to you. We hope and trust that you had a, a really blessed Christmas. And we're just in the second week of a series called Love Your Church. Eight great things that can bring us joy by intentionally stepping in as those who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at what it meant to belong, that we all belong to God. We are His children, and not only do we belong to Him, we belong to each other. And it's so important for us to see that we, and the Bible has lots of metaphors for what it is to be the church, and one we looked at last week was family, what it means to be part of God's Family. And the overflow of the joy of belonging is the joy of welcoming, that we all are to welcome others as God in Christ has welcomed us. None of us deserve the welcome of Christ. None of us. So therefore, we should not be a people who are, show partiality, our welcome, our hospitality, our open lives to invite people in should not be based on anything other than the fact that the people in front of us are image bearers of God. Image bearers of him. And this week, we're going to look at what it means, the joy of gathering as God's people and the joy of honoring as God's people. So let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that we get to do this. We have brothers and sisters all around the world that do this in fear. We thank you that we get to do this in freedom. And we ask, Lord, that you would be amongst us by your spirit and stir our affections for you, for your son, and for your son's bride, the church. Help us do that, we pray. Amen. Last week, last Sunday, straight after church, me and Sean and all the kids had the opportunity to go and watch Liverpool play Shrewsbury Town in the FA Cup at Anfield. Now, it was the first football match for Ella, who was my oldest, and the first football match for Joshy, who was my youngest. We had a great game. It was a great afternoon. It was great because we got to go to the match, but it was also great because we got to go in a lounge with free drinks, there was loads of leg room, there was even like padded seats, padded seats, and that the kids couldn't comprehend when I used to tell them, look, we used to go and stand in that stand there, and you were lucky if you, if you came out without somebody not weighing on you, it was, that, it, was, it was that rough, but it was beautiful, beautiful toilet, it was the greatest football experience, I had to say to the kids, it doesn't get better than this, don't expect any more than this, but we had a great time. Liverpool won 4-1. It was a wonderful experience. And even Ella and Joshi enjoyed it. And they're not really into football. But the one thing that struck me as we were leaving, Joshi said this. It's so much better than watching it on TV. It's so much better than watching it on TV. Joshi's eight. And he's right. He is right. If you're a football purist, you want to watch the replay and check out if VAR was right and all that sort of stuff. I get, I get that, but actually the experience of being at the match is far better than watching it on TV. Traveling to the game with thousands of people, loads of people walking to the ground with the same passion for the same team, standing in the crowd with unifying songs. The joint experience of wanting the team to win is far better than watching it on TV. Being in Anfield, if you're a Liverpool fan or Goodison, if you're an Everton fan or somewhere else, gathering together with other fans is a big deal. So people don't miss it. It's a priority for them. Now, you've heard it said, folks, from this pulpit, you've heard it said many, many times that the church is not a building, but rather the church is people. 
God's people. Without people, this place is just bricks and mortar and means, means nothing. And you've also heard it said from this pulpit that being the church is not just about being somewhere on a Sunday. Now, that's true. That's all true. However, that does not mean that we are to neglect meeting together. It doesn't mean that we are to neglect gathering together as the church to hear God's Word, preach, to sing, to pray, to share in communion, to encourage and edify each other. See, to gather as the church is an essential part of what it is to be the church. And to neglect this is to miss out on the joy and the blessings of what gathering does for you and what it does for others in the church. And as you read through the Bible, you'll see right through it, God's people gathering together around him. And you see right through redemptive history that it is a big, big deal. You see in Exodus, God's people camped around Mount Sinai waiting for God's law to be given to them. As you go through, they construct a temple for God, a a tabernacle for God's presence to be amongst his people, and they gathered around that. And then they built a a temple where God's presence was felt, and God's people gathered around that for sacrifice and for, for worship. And throughout the New Testament, what you see is that the value of gathering together became the norm for followers of Jesus. In Acts 20, what you see is God's people meeting together at the beginning of the week to break bread and to hear God's word taught. It was like God's people meeting weekly and regularly became a given very quickly after Jesus' earthly ministry. But the writer to the book of Hebrews explains, I think, the weightiness of what it is and what is going on and what it means when we gather. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18. Let me read it. It's on the screen. I know it's dark, so you probably won't see your Bibles. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and a sound of trumpets and a voice whose words made the heavens beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is God's people around Sinai. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn, that's Jesus, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, 
in light of the fact that we are part of a kingdom, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Folks, as new covenant Christians, those who are this side of the cross and resurrection, we don't come to something that we can touch like Moses, like a mountain, but rather we have access in the invisible spiritual realm into the heavenly Jerusalem, and therefore we participate in worship with the heavenly realm as righteous children. In the presence of Jesus and God the Father, we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Therefore, let us be grateful and offer acceptable worship. The awe and the wonder and the mystery as we gather together and the weightiness is far greater, far weightier, far heavenly even than when Moses and God's people stood around Sinai. And we, like them, are totally undeserving, yet we get to gather and join with the heavenly realm. Let us be grateful as we worship. Amen? So gathering as God's people is something that you see right through the Bible. But gathering as God's people is something that gives specific joy. Because when we gather, we grow as disciples as we receive the means of grace that gathering gives. And when we gather, it gives us a foretaste of the future. So that first point, we grow as disciples as we receive the means of grace that gatherings give. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 10 said this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See, folks, part of growing as a disciple of Jesus is to grow in love and good works. That's what it tells us there. Love and good works that Jesus has saved us to do. And here we also see that we are, have a responsibility to stir each other up in love and good works. And the context that the writer of the Hebrew says that we are to do that is when we gather. When we gather. See, not gathering, which is the habit of some, which was going on then when he wrote, was having a detrimental effect on the church, on the people not gathering, and on those that they were called to build up. And the writer is encouraging them to gather because that's how you build each other up. You can't build each other up if you're not in the presence of those that you are part of and belong to as the local church. So being together, just being together as God's people, is a means by which we experience the grace of God. But also, gathering enables us to receive and enjoy other means of grace as we gather together. Means of grace such as the preaching of God's Word. See, one Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said this, Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, See, what Paul is saying there, and what we know from the Bible, is that the authority is the Word of God, and God's people, as they gather, should devote themselves to the authority of Scripture as it is preached. 
In 1 Peter, Peter wrote, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of, word of God. What he's saying there, that our lives are changed through a seed that is living and abiding. That seed is the word of God. So we as God's people, as we gather, enjoy the means of grace as the word of God is preached, that we sit under the authority of God's word, and that word is is a living word that causes us to grow. So when we gather, we are to listen. Because if the preacher is truly saying what is in God's word and declaring what God has done, then the preacher is bringing an authoritative word, which is good news, which changes lives. Therefore, we should be people who listen humbly. We come in sitting under the authority of God's word, not with a I know it all attitude. We are to listen intently, switch on. I don't believe for a minute that grown adults can't listen for longer than 20 minutes. It's a fallacy and it's a lie that we believe. We listen intently. We should listen biblically, with our Bibles open, thinking, is that true? I, I want to see, not to test what is being the preacher, but to, to, to have clarity, to know. To, to, you have the Word of God in your hand. What a means of grace that we have just to have that with us, to go, okay, let, let me read more about that. Let me see that. We should listen personally. What does it mean for me? So many of us will listen to God's Word and go, that is a fantastic word for that person over there. Oh, I had these people in mind when you were talking about selfishness, I'll tell you. And hum humility, there are loads of people that need to be more humble. No, we need to listen personally. But also, we need to listen communally. What does this mean for us as God's people? What does it mean for us? We ought to listen obediently. We ought to ask the question, what do I need to do here? How do I need to obey? We should listen practically. What does that look like for me? What does that look like for us? And we should listen gratefully that God in his kindness through his spirit is enabling us to hear God's word and to respond appropriately. The means of grace that comes through the preaching of God's word. That's what happens when we gather. Amen? No? Doesn't that happen? Amen? Thank you. Don't leave me on my own here, folks. We also get the means of grace of prayer. It was Jesus that taught us how to pray. His life was marked by prayer. Throughout the book of Acts, you see God's people being specific and praying and devoting themselves to prayer. And folks, as we gather, when we pray, what that shows is that we are dependent on God. It is a means of grace. It is a means of joy. When we gather together and we pray, pray for each other, pray for our church, pray for the community, to pray for the world. See, when we pray and when we join others in prayer, we recognize and we proclaim that we need God. We need Him. We need Him in every moment of the day. We need Him to act. We need Him to comfort. We need Him to save. See, the means of grace when we gather reminds us of His saving grace. And when we pray, it reminds us of how much we need that grace every day. And we do that together. 
and we can heartily say amen when other people are praying and we engage in that prayer with them. It's a means of grace that happens when we gather. Another means of grace that happens when we gather is the means of grace of communion. Paul wrote in this letter to the first Corinthians who were getting drunk during communion. They're having all sorts of nightmares in the midst of that. He reminds them in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 23, I won't read it out, but he reminds them of what occurred, that Jesus took bread on the night that he was betrayed and wine. And he, and he told them to eat in remembrance of him. Folks, as we do that together, as we do that together, as we gather as a church, we proclaim the gospel that Jesus is the Passover lamb. We proclaim that Jesus has died in our place and we are people who have been forgiven, pardoned, and restored. When we, when we, um, when we eat and drink the bread, when we have communion, the means of grace is that we remind each other that he is returning, that Jesus told us, do this till I come. We proclaim what he's done for us in the past and we proclaim together that Jesus will return for his own. And when we take communion together, we proclaim our unity to the world, that we are one in Christ. We are family. And sharing a meal reminds each other, reminds us and each other that we are in Christ. We were dead in our sins, but now we are alive in him. One of the sad things, I think, regarding our culture of communion is that often we only have communion while we sit in pews. When actually, probably what happened in the early church is that they did it over meals. Some of the pastors and wives from the collective all got together on Friday night, and we had a feast. We had a feast, and before we had a feast, I walked through a liturgy. And part of that liturgy, part of that liturgy, that as we eat, let us be reminded of what Christ has done for us in the midst of, in the, in the midst of us as we ate and as we drank. Folks, as we gather, there's something special that occurs when God's people enjoy the means of grace of what it is to take communion. When we gather, we have the means of grace of seeing people testify to God's saving grace and be baptized. Amen? Some of the greatest memories of my life have been when people have publicly proclaimed that who they are in Christ and they've been baptized. As a kid, we grew up, we used to go to the top of the tabernacle, there'd be, say, 15 people who were who were going to get baptized, and then there'd be a queue of 30 afterwards queuing up, wanting to be baptized, wanting to be baptized. And at the time, I wanted to go home and watch the match of the day. Now, what I'd give for that, some of the greatest memories of seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism, and on the 30th, we get to enjoy that together. Amen? It's a means of grace, folks. That's why I get a bit frustrated when we share about baptisms, and it's like, oh, yeah, great. And actually, it's the greatest thing that happens in the cosmos when one sinner repents. Amen? Should be. Far greater than Mo Salah scoring a goal. Far greater. We enjoy the means of grace of singing together. Singing is life-giving, isn't it? It is. It's life-giving. Whether you're at a concert, whether you're at a football match, corporate singing gives us a sense of belonging. It gives us a sense of freedom. It's an overflowing response of admiration or, or worship to something. And also, it's an overflow of even lament. So singing is the natural response and means of grace for the liberated people of God. It's the natural overflowing joy and thankfulness and adoration to God and what He has done for us. Folks, let us not forget that it was over a year where we couldn't sing together. 
It was over a year. Do you remember that Sunday when we all got together and we could throw the masks off and we could sing? It was fabulous, wasn't it? It was amazing. It had been het up. And then we were able to sing together. See, the Bible's full of pictures of God's people singing. You read in Ephesians, Paul writes the churches in Ephesus and he says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Colossians, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts. See, do you notice there in both passages, we are, as we sing, to address each other. We are to teach and admonish each other with singing. Yes, we praise God and sing to him for who he is and what he has done, but we are also to sing to each other. That's why at the front, some of you wouldn't have noticed that I turn around. I like to turn around. Because I want to clock eyes with people as we sing the truths that we're singing together. Because we belong to each other. And if you think that's strange, where have you been? Because if you've been to a football match, we all sing all together now. And people stand up and people are looking at each other. When a goal is scored, you hug the person next to you. When you're at a concert, shot through the heart. You're too blamed, darling. You give love a bad name as you point to your wife. No. And we sing the songs and we look at each other. I went to a Coldplay concert with Anna and Stu Wood. I've never seen Stu. He's so excited. He was picking up random people that he didn't even know. We were singing all the Coldplay songs. It was phenomenal. Folks, that's what happens when we go to a concert. You get that embarrassing looking at each other, singing the words, and then you realize it's your brother. You, 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 you're with me. Folks, there's nothing strange in singing to each other. So why does it feel so strange for us? in church. It shouldn't. See, we turn to each other and we smile and we remind each other of good times and these songs. Part of singing and the means of grace of singing when we get together is that we are to build each other up. Because there are moments on a Sunday, maybe even today, when there are brothers and sisters around us who don't feel like singing for whatever reason. But to see us singing can be a great source of encouragement and comfort to them. There are moments where we have to sing ourselves out of wrong mindsets. We have to do that. And we need to sing the truths to help us overcome the lives that we are believing in that moment. Sometimes turning and clocking the eyes of somebody else or the hands raised of somebody else does something to help us walk through that. So we sing for the glory of God, but also for the sake of the struggling brothers and Christians and for the solidarity of our church. So as God's liberated people, when we gather, we sing. But when we sing, we want to be singing songs that are word-centered, songs that we sing that remind us of the authority of the word. We want us to be singing songs that exalt Jesus, not ourselves, exalt him. And we want to sing songs that remind us of who we belong to, God and each other. Now, folks, if you don't like singing, can I ask you, please, 
Pray to God and ask him by his spirit to stir your affections in that way. One, because you will be blessed. Two, you will be a blessing to others. And three, that's what eternity is going to be full of. <laughs> singing. It's going to be full of singing. Because the other reason why gathering brings joy is because it is the foretaste of the future. If you read in Revelation 5, if you read in Revelation 7, we have wonderful pictures of people together from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing around the throne of God, the Lamb that was slain, and they're singing. Every tribe, tongue, nation, every accent. You've got class and you've got class. That's the way it should be said. You've got people from all different backgrounds together singing to the glory of God. Amen? So some applications to help us as we gather. Number one, make it a priority. Hebrews tells us those who neglect. Don't be people who neglect. Make it a priority. Recognize that your church needs you and you need to gather with your church. Recognize that when you wake up on a Sunday morning, folks, the devil goes to war with you. He goes to war with you. You don't want to go. It's cold. It's going to be dark because they've only got those fairy lights. I could do without it because Steve goes longer than 20 minutes and I can't concentrate. I tell you what, I'll watch it online. The devil goes to war. Resist him. Gather with God's people. And as you do that, consider how, as you gather, you can stir others up for love and good works. One way of doing that, folks, come early. Come early. We are not good at being on time. We're not. So come early. If you've got kids, make sure they're booked in and we can be here. Because there are folks that have been here since half seven in the morning. And when you're there at half ten and there's six people sitting here, that can be quite discouraging. So come early. Be prepared. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. When we were kids, we'd go to church and you'd walk into church and everyone was silent. Praying. I'm not saying that we do that. But there was an element of preparing hearts, ready to gather with God's people, to engage in the weightiness of what is occurring. And I mentioned it before, don't stay at home and watch online unless it's essential. Unless it's essential in light of the times that we find ourselves because it's so much better being here than watching on TV. Amen? It is. Gathering. But one big way where we can think through and consider how we build each other up in love and good works as we gather, but also as we do life in the week, is having a culture of honoring each other. Of honoring each other. See, the Bible talks about honoring each other and also honoring the leaders of the church. Romans 12 verse 10 says this, Outdo one another in showing honor. It is the only place in the Bible where we are told to compete with each other. But sadly, it possibly could be one of the most disobeyed commands. 
Not because we don't think it's a good idea, but because we have settled with do no harm to one another rather than showing honor. See, to settle for do no harm to one another is passive. And I fear if we fail to show honor to one another because we are happy with, well, we aren't destroying with one another. That's just like asking a married couple how they are and the response is, well, we're not divorced, so we must be doing something right. A settling rather than intentionally seeking to see others flourish. Folks, the gospel is about the glory of God coming down on sinners like you and me. We have come from being sinners dead in our sin, enemies of God, to becoming children, co-heirs, living stones, part of the church that God is using to proclaim his glory to the world. The right response to this truth, the right response to the truths of the Bible is to see a culture of people who honor one another because we are royalty. We are the king's children. Imagine if the queen arrived. I used to get told that all the time. You going to church looking like that? Would you look like that if you go to see the queen? And I'd be like, yeah, of course I would. The honor that we would show to her Rightly so. The honor that we should show to one another is greater, deeper, and more weighty. And it's not right for us to settle. Well, we're not destroying each other. That's enough. See, folks, honoring one another should be the mark of the church. And when you open your eyes to see and you honor brothers and sisters in Christ, it brings so much joy. Joy for them as you honor them. And joy for you as you honor them. But we really struggle to do this. Why? One, because we're British, many of us. Those who aren't British, I apologize for our lack of honoring. But I think we struggle with this for a few things. Number one, we think it's flattery. We don't want to, we don't want to flatter people. We don't want to get, allow people to get above their station. Yeah, we need to guard our hearts against insincerity as well. But at the same time, everything that we do as we seek to obey, we will always do with a little of shadow over it. So why, why stop that now? Honor people. Honor them. You might think, well, who am I to give honor to someone else? The Bible says if you're a Christian, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. As you look at other Christians, they have Christ in them, the hope of glory. Remember, when you are honoring you are honoring the glory of God and the work of God in their lives. Who is also working in your life. So you should honor. Maybe you don't honor because we, we don't know how to. Lots of us don't know how to. Start by honoring those who serve you. Say thank you. Be specific. And I want to give you an, ex an example of people who I think we need to honor and we don't. People who do the sound on a Sunday and those who do the, the, the lyrics. We only notice them when it goes wrong, don't we? Every, everyone's like that, me included. What, what's going on? You know what I mean? You've gone past the 2.3 seconds of what it should be because even though we've sung the songs a million times, people won't sing them because the words aren't on the screen. Who's doing that? That's what happens, isn't it? These people have been here from half past seven this morning. Joy, because of me, 
had 50 slides to put together this morning. 50 on top of what was already done. Say thank you. Honor them as they bring glory to God, save him and save you. Maybe you struggle to show honor because you struggle to see things in others worth honoring. Maybe it's because you are negative, fearful, and you're fearful of praising and honoring others because you want to be noticed and you want to be honored. Maybe we need to repent of an ungenerous spirit. And maybe we need to look more closely. Psalm 16 verse 3 says this. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. Who are the excellent ones in this land? Those who are saints in Christ. Christian. So you don't have to look that hard. You just need to open your eyes and honor those. Imagine a church where people outdid each other in showing honor. Imagine that. In seeing the work of God in others and telling them. In thanking them and encouraging them. Imagine what it would be like if we were about honoring others, not vying for position, publicity, and prominence. Imagine what it would be like. Folks, rather than being a people who hunt out faults, let us be, let us be people who seek and see the glory of God in others. Praise him and honor them. Let's be those people. Let's honor each other. Let's outdo each other in showing honor. Amen? That's the competition. That's the game. Let's do it. But another way that the Bible is very clear on, another area of honoring, which is a way that you love the church, is to show honor to the leaders. In our culture, the idea of honoring leaders is an alien one. And some may say, for good reason. Yes, we respond, and yes, we will obey, but at times we do it reluctantly, and we do it while still moaning. All forms of leadership. Leaders in workplace, leaders in government, leaders in the institutions that keep us safe and seek to serve us, leaders even within the church. And as you read through the Bible, what you see are good examples of church leadership, and you see bad examples of leaders who are leading God's people. Now, we are called to be aware of those who are bad leaders. We're called to be aware of that. We're called to be aware of corrupt leaders who take advantage of position and power and authority. But the Bible also speaks of faithful leaders, faithful people who have led God's people, faithful elders, faithful pastors. And the Bible highlights what the life of faithful leaders should be, what the conduct should be. And the three H's, my friend Tony Marida wrote the book, Love Your Church. And the section on honoring leaders, he says the pastors are called to be, number one, happy. Happy. 1 Peter 5 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercise in oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not under compulsion. Anybody that does anything under compulsion is not happy. Agreed? Agreed. And pastors are called to be happy. Happy in their service of shepherding God's people. They are to be, number two, 
holy, set apart. But not set apart as some sort of anointed, ah, but actually set apart in the fact that they live lives that are in accordance with what the Bible says it is to be a godly Christian. And you read in 1 Timothy 3, you see the qualifications. Men of good character who love the Lord, that are faithful to their wives and to their families, that are not men who get drunk, that are not men who are violent and are aggressive. Yes, there are qualifications of gifting, but mainly qualifications of character. They are to be holy, and they are to be humble, number three. They are to seek to be servants like Jesus. Jesus, who washed the feet of his disciples, who gave his life for his people, who loved and cared for his people, and did not use who he was as a man who was fully man and fully God to his advantage, but rather humbled himself even unto death. Pastors, elders, are to be happy, holy, and humble. And we, as members of the church, are to respond in honoring them. Honoring them who are only men, who God, for some reason, has asked and is using to lead his people. So how do we do that? Number one, we are to be respectful to faithful elders. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says this, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. See the connection there? That actually the respect and honor of those who are working amongst you as leaders brings peace amongst the church. Not to buy the culture that anybody that has authority is in it for themselves and is using people. Faithful elders are men who are seeking to labor amongst God's people for the good of God's people and for the glory of God and the right response of all of us as members because we're members before we're leaders is to respect faithful eldership. That's how we honor. We are also to love our elders. See that in Thessalonians 13, verse 13 that we read? Esteem highly in love. Esteem them highly in love. It should not be distant. One thing that I don't love about this place, this building, is I feel miles away from you. I'm not, but I feel it. Because in the last place, I was on top of you when I was preaching. I felt in the mix, you know what I mean, amongst God's people. I was on the floor. I wasn't raised up. It's one of those things. There are more people. There was being part. It wasn't distant. It was close. See, our relationships between members and elders should not be distant, but it should be warm. There should be affection between the elders and the members and vice versa. And what's really interesting is one way that we outdo each other in showing honor in Romans 12 verse 10 is that we are to love one another with a brotherly affection, it says. Love one another with a brotherly affection. So love the elders who are leading you. How do we honor? Follow the example of your elders. Hebrews 13, 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. 
Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. My prayer is that the elders of this church are men who live out, who preach what they practice. Preach what they practice. There is an overflow of life for the Lord Jesus. Look to those that God is saying, these men are leading you. They are amongst you. Consider their outcome of life, way of life, and imitate their faith. One way that we honor is we follow example of faithful eldership. One way that we honor the leaders is be a joy to pastor. Be a joy to pastor. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have, have to give in an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would not be that would be of no advantage to you. So if you're not a joy to pass there and the elders groaning, that's not going to go well for you, is it? No? It's just not going to go well. Not in an aggressive, you know, it's not going to go well, but it's just not, is it? See, these are the things that bring the eldership's joy. I've been an elder since I was 25 in two different churches. These are the things that bring joy to elders. Number one, People who engage with the teaching and the preaching of God's word. It's a joy. There are moments when you're preaching and you're like walking through treacle. You know people aren't engaged. You just got to get to the end. There are moments where you know everyone's locked in. That's a joy. It's a joy. Elders feel joy when folk engage in community and all the blessings of what that means. Elders experience joy when they see people refusing to be divisive and refusing to gossip. Elders experience joy when God's people contribute with their gifts, with their time, with their finances. And elders experience joy when those members seek to be humble and allow the Lord, by his word, to change them. One of the greatest joys of my life is to see people, yet in the midst of difficulty, in repentance, walking through that, in the midst, and, and walking into flourishing, because they are obedient to the word of God. That's a joy, folks. A joy to see prodigals return. A joy to see those who are in their sin now in life. A joy to see broken, busted up marriages now flourishing. That is a joy for elders. That's how we can honor, by being a joy to pastor. And finally, how do we honor? Pray for the elders. That's the best thing that you can do, is to pray for us. Because every Christian needs shepherding. Every Christian does. And whilst it's easy to be critical towards elders and pastors, the fact is God has given the church leaders for the building up of the body, the church. So please pray for us. Pray that we remain faithful as Christians. Pray that we remain happy, holy, and humble. And while you do that, recognize that Hebrews tells us the elders will give an account for the souls of those who lead. Jesus will stand in front of me and the other elders of this church and those who have been elders before and ask us 
to give an account of those who we lead. As you pray, please feel the weight of that and pray for us. Please pray that the Holy Spirit reminds us that we are Christians before we're elders, that we're members before we're pastors, and we're sheep before we are shepherd. And this is a big one. Please pray for our wives. Please pray for our wives. You want to honor the elders? If you don't like me, pray for Sean. If you don't like me, that's an issue, but pray for Sean. One of the greatest ways you can honor the elders is to pray for our wives. Our wives that have no formal position in the church. Our wives that have not been asked to carry the burden and to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ. But our wives, in God's providence, have called, us, called them to be one flesh with these men. So there are things that they see and things that they know and things that they experience, but they don't have the forum to discuss. There are pains and their hurts and the, the difficulties and discouragements. And specifically now, most of the elders' wives are struggling in some form of physical pain or difficulty. Pray for the elders' wives. You want to honor us? Pray for our wives. And be thankful that God has put godly women alongside dead, dead men like us. Amen? Biggest amen you've had. All right, thanks for that. Folks, how do you love your church? Don't neglect to gather. And outdo each other in showing honor. Let's pray. Father, thank you and praise you for your goodness and grace. We ask that you would remind us of the wonder of what it is to gather. And we ask that you would help us to outdo each other. Father, we ask that as we sing now, as we just rattle through these songs and as we sing, help us to see the means of grace of what it is. Give us the courage to look around the room and sing. Give us the courage to look at each other. Give us the courage to be delighted in that. Also, let us look around and do a work in our hearts to see how we can show honor to one another and to love each other as we are gathered here today. And help us think about that during the week. Help us to respond well and help us to receive that, not with pride, but with glory. Glory that can only be given to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Let's stand.